You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 88, by Rudolf Steiner, translated by James Hines, entitled Concerning the Astral World and Devakan. This is Lecture 9.3, it's third lecture in the second section, entitled The World of Spirit or Devakan, Part 3, given in Berlin on February 11, 1904. In the lectures concerning the astral world, I have tried to describe the path that the human soul must traverse after passing through the gate of death. This path through the soul world, or the astral world as it is called in theosophical literature, is relatively short. The longest period of time that the soul spends between one incarnation and the next is spent in the spiritual world, in what in theosophy is called Devakan, the land of gods. In order to use a German expression, I will use the term spirit land, Geist Erland. We need to take care that we gradually introduce German expressions. And if we realize that we mean nothing other than Devakan when we say spirit land, then we will be able to understand one another. In the astral world, the soul will have to purify itself of everything that chains it to the earthly of drives, passions, and instincts that are necessary for earthly life. However, it is impossible for the human soul to advance through Devakan with these earthly passions clinging to it. After it has freed itself from all that, it moves on through actual spirit land. If we want to understand what it means to move through spirit land, then this must be very clear. I have often stressed that theosophy in no way turns its back on earthly life, in no way points people toward any kind of, in quotes, other side to reality. On the contrary, it clearly states that the chief task of human beings during the course of their incarnation is found here, on earth, that it is the task of a human being to perfect more and more this earthly existence. Our task is to bring what we experience in the spiritual world as fruit into the earthly sphere. We are to apply to our earthly lives what we observe in the time between two incarnations. For this earthly incarnation, our task and the task of the earth is to become so perfected that what has been perfected can be carried up into higher kingdoms. It is our task to work together on the perfecting of the earth, because according to the cosmic plan, this earth is not to remain as it is. It is to become a higher world. And human beings are to bring about what will enable the earth to be taken into a higher world. For this reason, from time to time, they must return to spirit land. Human beings should work on the earth in order to lead it to its goal, which is spiritual. For this they must make themselves capable of working spiritually. Again and again they must return to the spiritual world, 
and live purely spiritually in order to learn and work with the goals and intentions for earthly life. We carry into earthly life what we learn in the spiritual world. Just as when a house is being built, the first and most important thing does not take place at the work site where the bricks and boards are assembled, but rather in the architect's office where the blueprints are thought through and prepared. Just as the carpenters and masons translate into reality what the architect thought out beforehand, what is most important for us is what we bring down from the suprasensory world, the goals, intentions and plans we receive in order to apply them in the world of objects and bodies. Yet what human beings do during earthly incarnation is very important. From time to time the spirit withdraws in order to get to know the actual foundations of earthly existence. That is the meaning of our stay in Devakan or spirit land. When we leave our body at death, we first must pass through a condition of unconsciousness, we pass through the astral world, and then finally awaken in spirit land. Then we must apply what we learned through what we practiced in the earthly world. Staying with the same picture, we must imagine that we work like an architect who is creating a plan and drawings for a house. Once the architect has made a plan, he also learns through the physical material realization of the plan about the imperfections, the mistakes within it. He is a learner. In the same way we are learners during our incarnation. In exactly the same way that an architect learns from experiences and observations made while designing his first building and then uses them for later structures, so too we transform our experiences and observations into a more perfect knowledge. Then, enriched by this knowledge, we enter into new incarnations. That is the meaning of it. Between death and a new birth, we awaken from a kind of unconsciousness in Devakan. Then we must advance through various stages. In each of these stages, a very specific kind of ability is developed. We have learned of seven stages. I will briefly mention each of these once again and indicate what the spirit must achieve at each stage. I have explained how the lowest region is the kingdom of archetypes but this is to be understood pictorially. It is a condition. In this world we encounter the archetypes for everything that comes to meet us in the sensory world. I have said that in the spirit world we live within the spirit, just as we live within the sense world with our senses, and we feel the spiritual world just as we feel in the sense world with our senses, as we see and hear the sense world. What is present in the physical world as a thought is a living being within the spiritual world. What passes through our head as a thought is only the shadow of a spiritual being. This spiritual being appears to us as a thought because it must penetrate through the veil of our physical bodily nature. We imprint the world with our thoughts and mental pictures, and with and through them we make the earth more perfect. In the spiritual world, we must move among and between these thoughts. 
which have now become things. Just as here on earth we roam between physical things that we bump into and touch, so too in spirit land we roam between thoughts. The archetypes for the sense world are to be found in the lowest region of spirit land. There we are in the, in quotes, workshop, in which sensory things are, in quotes, made. We see there the archetypes for physical plants, animals, and human forms. Here we must form thoughts about what we have seen. These thoughts are held in the background as shadow-like schematics, and we do not believe in the reality of thoughts because they have such a shadow-like existence. Just as the clock was created by first having its inventor think the clock in his head, so everything has been created according to thought, and the, in quotes, thought being appears to us in spirit land. Thus in spirit land, the entire sensory world that we see here on earth appears to us in its archetypes. There we see everything as it is made. We see plants and animals springing forth from the animal and plant-creating forces. We learn to see what is here on earth from a different side. We see the spiritual negative, so to speak, as compared to the positive physical appearance. We are entering into a world the description of which must appear as fantasy to those who have little feeling for it. However, for those whose senses have been awakened for it, this world is infinitely more real than the physical world. It is the world of archetypes, the world of causes. A spiritual transformation occurs that grows stronger and stronger the more we become at home in this world. I would like to characterize the path through this world. It is significant because it casts a light on this world, a light of unspeakable significance. Our own bodily nature, our body, which we call ours, appears to us as a thing among things. It appears to us as belonging to external reality. We can see how it comes about and how it passes away. The archetype of our body appears to us as a member within external reality. We feel ourselves standing over and in contrast to it. We no longer say of our body, quote, that is what I am, close quote. Rather, we know that it belongs to objective reality. And we come to understand a statement from the highest Hindu Vedanta wisdom, quote, you must recognize that you yourself are a member of the great all, close quote, quote, that is you, close quote. What forms our body, we see in such a way as if we stepped onto a boulder. It is something entirely foreign. We learn from experience to understand the sentence, quote, that is you, close quote. And when we practice this sentence, it is nothing more than the memory of what we have experienced earlier in spirit land. We are bringing this memory into our consciousness and experiencing a weak echo of the spirit world in the world of objects and bodies. But that lifts us up out of the sense world and into higher spheres. We feel ourselves to be spiritual beings. We know that we are a member of the primal spirit, a ray streaming forth from it. We know this immediately, directly, 
The second fundamental principle of Vedanta wisdom is also fulfilled immediately in the first region of Devakan, quote, I am Brahman, close quote. The primal spirit is intended with the word Brahman. When human beings have advanced enough to experience themselves as a member of this primal spirit, then they say, quote, the primal spirit lives in me. It is itself my being, close quote. Quote, I am the primal spirit, close quote, is an immediate experience that the soul has already in the lowest region of spirit land. That is the meaning of life in the first region of Devakan. I have described the second region as the one in which all the archetypes of life on our earth are to be found. When we observe life in our earthly world, we find the same archetypes built into individual beings, in plants, in animals, and in human beings. The life of these plants, animals, and human beings is, however, a great living unity. It originates in the same common source. The archetype of the life that here on earth lives as a reflection or distant echo streams there like an ocean through all the beings of the spirit kingdom. The occultist knows that this streaming life has a rose-red color a rose-red ocean, so to speak. It streams through all beings of spirit land. This streaming, rose-red, fluid life pulses through all life in spirit land. After human beings have advanced through the first region of spirit land, they then identify themselves with this flowing life on the second stage. They learn to know their being as flowing life. In order to understand this fully, Let us once again make clear what it means to live in this region in the time between death and a new birth. We live for an especially long time in the first region of Devakan. In the physical world we are born into very specific conditions determined by the physical nature of the earthly world. We are born into a country, into a family, so that we acquire certain friends through physical connections. Through physical conditions we connect with something that constitutes the content of our everyday life. Life in a family, life in a clan, in a nation. That is karma. In the first region of spirit land we learn about everything that originates in physical relationships, in its archetypes. We also learn how to judge it. And the abilities that we acquire through practice in family life, as friendships and so forth, are completely formed and shaped in the first region of Devakan. They are intensified and formed so that we can return to the earth and a new incarnation with them increased and fully formed. For this reason we find that people who comprehend their whole mission only in the conditions and relationships of daily life, who do not move beyond their immediate environment, beyond their business and so forth, Such people spend a long time in the first region of Devakan. Those people who bring a certain preparation with them reside in the second region of Devakan. This preparation is created through a higher education within earthly life. These people learn that the things of earthly life are transitory and merely expressions of an eternal primal ground of existence. They learn to recognize the oneness in all life, 
and to look up with devotion to the One. When the simplest primitive person sees divine characteristics and objects and regards them as symbols of the divine, such an experience of the earth goes above and beyond everyday conditions. In this region human beings learn to recognize the creative work of the Godhead. Here we see the adherents of various religions developing devotional feelings by approaching the gods in humility. After human beings have passed through this region, they enter their next incarnation with a higher degree of devoutness. People who have a sense for the unity that underlies everything we see spend a long time in this second region. We see them living into the unity of all being, and we see how these spirits become leading religious personalities when they return to the earth. These people see that the interests of the individual can no longer be separated from the interests of the community. This sense for community life is developed in the second region of Devakan. Let us ascend into the third region. Here we no longer find archetypes for what lives only in earthly existence. Rather, we find the archetypes of soul existence itself. Here we find the archetypes of all desires and instincts, all sensations and feelings, and all passions, from the lowest passion up to the highest pathos. There are purely spiritual archetypes for all of that in the third region of Devakan. Just as all life in the second region forms a great unity, so too in the third region all sensations, feelings, all suffering and so forth form a great unity. There the instincts of one being are not separated from the instincts of another being. Here, quote, that is you, close quote, has already happened. We can no longer distinguish between my feeling and your feeling, as we can in the limited conditions of sense existence. The pain of another is just as much ours. We perceive, quote, the sighing of all nature, close quote. We perceive every pleasure and discomfort, whether it is ours or someone else's. We say to everything, that is you. We have compassion for everything. I have described this region as the atmosphere, as the air of the spirit world. Just as our earth is surrounded by a physical atmosphere, so also the spirit continent is surrounded by this atmosphere of air, by the sphere of suffering and unhappiness, by the archetypes of human passions, just like storms and lightning strikes and thunderstorms. When we live in the third region of Devakan, we learn to understand a sentence spoken by an inspired individual and know what it means when one is united with the, quote, groaning of all creatures who wait anxiously for adoption, close quote. This creates in us another side of feeling. We learn to know earthly feelings from another side, not as the egotistical feeling of an individual, but rather in such a way that we will have developed compassion for all beings in this third region. In this region we remember the selflessness and goodwill toward our fellow human beings that we developed on earth. That is what we bring with us from this third region. Philanthropists, the great benefactors of humanity, develop their capacity there. They have a long life in the third region of Devakan.
How do these three regions of Devakan relate to our earthly world? In the first region, we find the archetypes of things that have bodies. In the second region, we find the archetypes of life. In the third region, we find the archetypes of our soul world, the drives, instincts and passions. In spirit land, we find what we need in order to work within earthly life. The fourth region is a kind of pure spirit land, but not in the full sense of the word. If we wish to understand the difference between the fourth region and the lower three, we must be clear that we are dependent upon everything already present upon the earth when we bring creative forces into the physical world. We are like potters who imprint their ideas into the clay. When we wish to bring messages from spirit land, we are dependent upon the clay of the earthly world. We must adjust ourselves to what has already been created. We must study what already exists in the physical world as physical matter and physical forces. We must respect what our co-creatures feel in terms of suffering and happiness or unhappiness. With what we bring from the spirit land, we must conform to what we find here. Here we create only a picture, an imprint of what is found in spirit land. In the fourth region, we find the archetypes for what human beings create that is original, what they create that goes beyond what already exists. We find as an archetype in the fourth region of Devakan everything brought forth by art and science, everything that we know as technical inventions, everything that would not exist without the influence of the human spirit. All those human beings who participate in the advancement of the culture of their age, who strive for science, who work to perfect state institutions, who work to perfect what has been born freely from the spirit and is not bound to the soul, they are all fructified by what they experienced in the fourth region of Devakan. What we experience there we imprint into the reality accessible to the senses and thereby transform it. If we ask ourselves if this fourth region is independent from the earthly region, then we must answer that in a certain way it is, because a human being who comes from there brings something that does not yet exist. But then, on the other hand, the fourth region is independent because human beings can stand only at a certain stage of perfection and they can form only that for which humanity is ready. The fourth region of Devakan is connected with earthly existence in such a way that on the one hand it is free of it and on the other hand it is dependent on the developmental stage of earthly existence. If we ascend to the fifth region of spirit land, then we are entirely free from the chains of earthly existence. Then we are free on all sides and able to evolve. Then we are surrounded by what is our actual, true, real home. In this higher region we discover the actual intentions that the world spirit has for earthly evolution. We participate in the intentions of the world spirit then everything begins to speak to us. We find out the divine world spirit's aim for the plants, for the animals, and for human beings. 
We learn to recognize the perfected forms for which creation is merely an imperfect copy. Here we come to know the intentions, the goals that stream forth from eternity. And when we return strengthened to the physical world, we are messengers of these divine intentions. Then we bring what should be inserted into the earthly world as true spirit, as independent spirit. Now you can easily imagine that what we can bring back from this region will depend upon how much we have developed ourselves during our incarnations in our physical lives. If human beings have no intention to raise themselves up to higher worlds, if they are stuck in everyday life and cannot grasp what is eternal, then they will experience nothing more than a brief glimpse in the fifth region of Devakan. And those who are not dependent on earthly life, who reflect on the earthly condition with independent thought, who practice deeds of compassion and benevolence without egotistical interests, those people have acquired the right to abide in the higher regions of Devakan for a longer period of time. They are able to develop independent spiritual activity in a higher sense. What flows forth from the divine, from eternity, streams to them there. The human self takes up into itself the world of thought unlimited by earthly imperfection. Every incarnation is only an imperfect copy of what a human being actually is. The spiritual self is in spirit land, and when it descends into a human body and soul, it can realize only a weak copy of what it actually is. When we return home to our true selves, to our original unique spiritual wholeness, when we come to know the fifth region, then our view of our own incarnations is expanded. We are in a position to survey our past and future. We experience a flash of memory of our past incarnations, and we can connect them with what we can do in the future. We can see the past and the future with prophetic vision. Everything we behold appears to us as if flowing forth from our eternal self. This is what the self acquires in the fifth region of spirit land. For this reason we label this self inasmuch as it lives in the fifth region and becomes aware of its own being, the bearer of causality of the human being which carries all the results of previous lives over into the future. What appears in the various incarnations is the causal body. Indeed, it will appear for as long as and until the human being passes over into a higher state, where higher laws than reincarnation apply. We have been subject to the laws of reincarnation since the beginning of planetary life. The causal body is what carries the results of previous lives over into the upcoming life. It enjoys the fruits of previous lives, that is, what was achieved through work in a previous lifetime. After a series of such earthly pilgrimages, when the actual spiritual self, that is the causality bearer, has incarnated in the physical body, 
It then lives in spirit land in such a way that it can freely move around, just as a physical human being moves among things in the sensory world. That is the experience one can create there. We learn to move about in a way that shows much more initiative and appears much higher than movement within the world of the senses. Then we move up to the sixth region of Devakan, when we have achieved the right to spend certain periods of time between lives in the sixth region. In the sixth region, the human self already expresses the deeper being within it. There, its eternal self finds complete expression. There, it expresses what comes directly from the very depths of the divine self. There, the human being learns to be just as much at home in spirit land as a physical human being feels at home in the physical world. We become so familiar with the laws of the spiritual world that we regard ourselves as belonging to that world. In this sixth region, we learn that we come into this physical world as a messenger of the pure divinity. We no longer find the reasons for our work in the physical world within the physical world itself. We fulfill the plans of the divine world order itself. We create out of the spiritual world. We work out of the spiritual world. For this reason we are not strangers on the earth, neither do we work as strangers. We have acquired independent impartiality in this sixth region. When we appear in the physical world as a messenger of the spiritual world, our work is all the more fruitful because we are not dependent upon the things of this world and because we judge them with complete objectivity, we will do what is right. Our deeds will be deeds of the spiritual world, order itself, an expression, a revelation of the divine world order itself. In this sixth region of spirit land, we also enjoy the company of those lofty beings I spoke of the last time. These are beings who work with us on the plane of the divine world order. Their view of divine wisdom is spread out, open and unveiled. Human beings who have developed themselves up to the sixth region, can understand here what these beings are saying to them concerning the divine world plan. When they return to the earthly plane, they are able to determine for themselves the direction and goals of their life. Then they are acting out of themselves. They can consciously work into the future. They are capable of becoming initiates here on this earth. Those who have performed deeds on earth unconnected to egotism, deeds of self-sacrifice, are able to become initiates. They have earned the right to live in the presence of spirits between incarnations, and they are entrusted with the forces and the riches of spirit land. When they then return to incarnation, their memories are open to earlier incarnations. They see that they have lived here or there and they determine the future of their next incarnation, even if not in all details, for that cannot be determined. Those who have experienced these things in spirit land between two incarnations are the aspirants for initiation into the mysteries. 
These are the ones who are taken into the secret schools and discover there the wisdom they are to proclaim to the world so that they can follow the path of advancement. These are the ones who can affirm out of their own personal experience that the teachings of theosophy are factual and true. But they are also the ones who have the duty to proclaim to others the irrevocable truths they have received. They have the duty to ignite the lofty feeling and the power that carry us further up the ladder of knowledge. Those who are able to believe in reincarnation know that this knowledge is possible. They have already reached the first step. Even those whose faith in the possibility of reincarnation is dull and weak can expect that this faith will become knowledge of reality. For faith works as a living force in the human soul and produces miracles in the human soul. What comes from spiritual depths works in the human soul. Those who do not know this refer to others as dreamers because they are not aware that these others are creating out of a much deeper consciousness than they are themselves. But the progress of the world is an ongoing incarnation of what these dreamers and idealists have thought. The seventh step can be reached only by those who have been initiates in this life, those who have grasped the meaning of the mysteries and who can be co-workers of the structure and plan of the divine world order. After they have fulfilled their tasks in the lower regions, they enter directly into the highest region where all impulses for life and streams of existence flow. Only initiates have the right to enter this seventh step of Devakan, or spirit land. We have seen that the tasks of the human being lie in this earthly world, that we are not allowed to withdraw from it. But what lies in this earthly world must be fructified by the experiences that we have in the land of spirits and that we recognize as messages with instructions that we are to carry out in earthly life. In order for us to work with certainty, we must regard life as a school. We must make life into a lesson. We must learn to recognize how the rays of a higher life flow into the world of earth. We will speak more about this next time. The end of Lecture 9.3